Someone in the workplace betrayed your trust. We've all had that happen, and we've all felt the emotion and anger from it. But then, what do you do next? On this episode, Henry Cloud joins me to show us the starting point for repairing trust. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 626. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. So much of leadership, and by the way, every human relationship is about trust. Trust is so central to our relationships, how we work. It is the fuel that powers us in so many ways. And of course, when trust is broken, it's an obstacle for us. Today, a look at some of the starting points for beginning to repair trust from one of the experts on this topic, who I'm so excited to have on the show today. I'm pleased to introduce Henry Cloud. He is an acclaimed leadership expert, clinical psychologist, and a New York Times bestselling author. His 45 books, including the iconic Boundaries, have sold nearly 20 million copies worldwide. He has an extensive executive coaching background and experience as a leadership consultant, devoting the majority of his time to working with CEOs, leadership teams, and executives to improve performance, leadership skills, and culture. Henry's work has been featured and reviewed by the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Boston Globe, Publishers Weekly, the Los Angeles Times, and many other publications. Success Magazine named him in the top 25 most influential leaders in personal growth and development, alongside Oprah, Brené Brown, Seth Godin, and others. He is a frequent contributor to CNN, Fox News Channel, and many other national media outlets. He is the author of Trust, Knowing When to Give It, When to Withhold It, How to Earn It, and How to Fix It When It Gets Broken. Henry, what a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, such a pleasure to be here. You're kind of my peeps. That's where I hang out <laughs> hundred days a year. So in the war rooms with, you know, people that have to get things done and make it happen. Yeah, indeed. You know, the vast majority of our listeners are inside organizations managing teams every single day. And of course, so much about trust is the daily reality of our work, both the positives that come with trust when it's there and the frictions when it's not. And I, I highlighted this quote from the book, Henry. You write, if I had to summarize it in just a few words what this book is about, I would say this, trust is the fuel for all of life. Nothing in life works without it, especially relationships. This is so central to how we live and work, isn't it? You know, it really is. I, I told a story in the book. I was sitting on an airplane and you know, I was working on some of the research for the book. And a guy, the guy next to me says, what are you working on? I said, well, I'm researching trust. And he goes, well, well I don't trust anybody. And I said, really? He said, absolutely not. I learned, I learned a long time ago, you can't trust people. He said, I only trust myself. Uh-huh. And I said, well, think, <laughs> I'm a psychologist and you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, what do you mean? I said, I said, well, dude, look out the window. You're at 43,000 feet. Did you get yourself up here? Don't tell me you don't trust anybody. You trust a couple of pilots you hadn't met. You trust a guy to put fuel in the plane. How do you know he didn't put chocolate milk in there? You trusted him. So don't tell me you don't trust anybody. But then I said to him, Dave, that if I heard your story, I bet there's been a few instances where you got really, really, really 
wounded deeply or betrayed in some way. Mm. And I'd like to hear that story. And and I, I mentioned that because when I did hear his story, what you see is that when trust breaks down and we can't do it, it's impossible to talk about business, for example. It's impossible to scale anything. This guy had kind of a kind of a small life because if you how are you going to get at 43,000 feet if you can't trust? How are you going to grow a business if you can't, A, find the right people to trust to go open that new division or go to go to Asia and get it started there or go negotiate this deal? If you can't find people that are trustworthy and let go to let them do something, you can't scale. And even within a team, you know, have you ever been on a team where there's somebody's got one foot in and one foot out because you can't really trust them or they, they've broken trust for somebody in, in some functional way? It just won't work. And so there aren't many situations I get called into that at some level, the dynamic of trust has got to be either built more deeply so somebody let go of something, get out of somebody's hair, or that it's got to be repaired. So it is a big deal. Yeah, and it's one of the reasons that I wanted to have this conversation with you today about repairing trust, because it is the reality for every leader that there's an aspect of that that is almost, I don't want to say it's constant, but it's a regular thing that comes up in relationships and organizations and teams, of course. And before we get into maybe some of the the process of that, which is messy, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. There are five big factors that you highlight in the book, and and this is a huge chunk of the book, so I know I'm asking you a big question here, but perhaps you could illuminate for us, what is what are the five and what's key about them? Well, the very first one is we trust somebody when we feel like they understand us. And here's where I start with that. That's the neurological basis. If you're talking to somebody, you're trying to explain to them what you need out of the deal or what you need from that seat. You know, if you're with an executive team, what that chair has got to provide for the rest of the team. And you're you're trying to work through that. You can tell the difference between somebody who is really, really listening and is trying to in depth understand you and what you need, what what's going to hurt you, what's going to make you scared, what's going to make you happy. So we got to start there. Now, once once we feel understood, somebody can understand us as a manipulative ploy. This is what seductive people do. They they empathize. Oh yeah, that other company you did. Oh, there. Yeah, oh, that must be, you know. But they're really just working you because the second one is the motive. And we've got to figure out every relationship, everybody has self-interest. You have to, to have a relationship. It's got to be mutually satisfying. But but some people, I mean, you've been on a team before, probably everybody has, where the team's trying to do something, but one person's kind of got their own agenda. Oh, sure. Right? And they're trying to always push it their way, or you're buying something or you're selling something, and you feel like everything they're coming at is really about them and what they want, what they need. You're kind of being moved across the chessboard. But when we trust, it's because somebody, we feel like somebody really is for my side of the equation. They want it to work well for me. And they'll make concessions, something they want, if that doesn't, if that doesn't meet my needs. And so we got to think about the other side of the table and what 
what can I do and show them to know it really matters to me how it works for you? So that's kind of the second one. The third one is, you know, I just had two knee replacements. And and what if I had had an empathic, great motive surgeon and he examines me and I feel all trusting now. And, and I say, OK, you can be my doctor. And he says, well, that's great because, you know, I've always wanted to do a knee. I'm an OB-GYN. he goes i've never done one of these before i've always wanted to no no we're not gonna do that yeah because the third element is ability we've got to feel like this this person has the ability they might be honest they might have a lot of integrity but are they going to be able to pull it off that's the big question Mm. so that's the third one the fourth one is obviously their personal makeup you know, if somebody's got all these great talents, this, that, and the other, but you get under pressure and they start screaming at people, you know, how they're glued together. Do they have the perseverance to to, to go through a, a really, really difficult season if this thing goes south and the red numbers start coming in? Do they have the patience? Do they have the, the EQ, for example, to make things work in, in whatever context? You know, I had a brother-in-law who's a Navy SEAL, and the bad guys are coming after me. The courage and the steel-headedness that those guys have, that's who I want in that context. But if my dog dies and I need a caring shoulder, I'm not calling Mark. (laughs) He'd say, dude, get over it. So, you know, how somebody is glued together personally is it's got to fit the context. And then lastly, you know, what happened the last time? You know, the the track record. So a lot of times people don't vet that enough. And people have failures. We can repair failures and People can get overcome failures. That's great. That's a problem. And problems are meant to be fixed, right? And people come back. But if there's a pattern up until yesterday when the last one, and they just say, I'm sorry, then we need a new pattern before we we start to really trust. And our minds make make mental maps to negotiate reality. You yeah, go in and yeah. you go in and talk to a boss and tell them about a problem. And they say, you did what? I can't believe you got, you know. And they go off on you and you walk out and you didn't get any help or what you needed. And you walk out, the team goes, well, how'd it go? He goes, well, he, you know, he didn't get it. But the next time you got a problem, what do they say? Well, I'm not going to talk to him about it. Yeah. We build maps based on track records of interactions with people. And, and yet you, you point out one of the fallacies that a lot of us tend to have. And I think this comes up in the business context all the time, in the organizational context, that it's in the past, so it shouldn't matter. And uh, I I was really struck by an analogy that you wrote in the book about having your car get rear-ended and the axle getting bent. And I think that's really a beautiful analogy for thinking about the past and why it does matter. I'm wondering if you could share that. Well, you know, a lot of people, and, and I, I work primarily in the business context, and, you know, I always get this little thing about, oh, the shrink's coming in here. Well, you know, I study <laughs> study the human brain and how it functions, right? Well, it, it's a piece of equipment. Your soul is a piece of equipment, and it gets wired in certain ways. So it's kind of it's gonna kind of do the way that you're wired and the way that you're put together until it changes. And and people don't understand that their past experience is not just in the past. It tweaked the equipment. If a car gets hit. And it's got a it's got a bent frame, and you drive your other car for a while, and you put it in the garage. Well, it might be a year for you know. If I, I need to get that car fixed, so you finally take it in. And what if the 
mechanic said, what are you? Well, I had a wreck. He said, what was that a year ago? He said, well, that's way in the past. That doesn't matter. Well, no. What happened in the past, if it hasn't been fixed, is still present. Mm. And it's going to manifest itself. And, you know, in the book, I write about two partners that started a business and they grew it. And the thing was taken off to, to an incredible, I mean, they had traction and gaining market share. And the private equity firms come running and they wanted, and they finally found one that literally could be the perfect partner, put the money in, they needed to scale. The, the future was everything they wanted. And then one of the partners backed down at the, at the last minute and he wouldn't go forward. And it started to break down their relationship and destroy everything they had built. But we get in there and one-on-one, I'm talking to him, and, and this was the perfect deal. Everything they wanted, the people were trustworthy. We structured it so he would still have control. And then right in the middle of the day, he goes, he gets real kind of amped. And he says, he says, I will not let anybody tell me what I'm going to do in my own house. And I said, house? He didn't say business. He said house. Hmm. And I said, you ever experienced this in your house growing up? And he hit that moment where, you know, you've hit something. He said, yeah, my old man, he controlled everything. I couldn't make up my mind. I couldn't do anything I wanted to do. And I'm not going to do that in my business. And this private equity firm's not going to have be telling me what to do. It had nothing to do with the deal. It had to do with his life experience that had made him really, really, really phobic of doing something with anybody that had power, even when that power could help him. Or, you know, just not even, it doesn't have to be childhood. It could be what happened last year when you asked me to work on this project with this other person. <laughs> I've seen the track record, and we got to listen to that unless it's fixed. Yeah. And it's such an important consideration when we think about repairing trust. And I mean, you make the point so many times in your work that this is not a clean and orderly process. It's not like you do step one, step two, step three in perfect order. But there, there is a way to approach this. And the thing that really, I think, was really insightful for me reading through this, I often mention on the show, you know, leadership is not about us, but it does start with us. Because if we're not leading ourselves well first, we're not going to do a good job of leading anyone else. And you make the point that the first step in repairing broken trust is about you. It's not the person who betrayed you. It's a bit counterintuitive, but it's critical when you start, right? It's so critical. You know, everybody's been on the airplane here. The thing will put the mask on you before trying to help somebody else. And you got to be able to breathe to help somebody, right? Well, when you've had a betrayal, and it can be in you know, business, sometimes, sometimes a betrayal, and it might not even be a betrayal, it might be a huge failure. The person did not perform like you trusted them to do. In that moment, you're like the boxer in the ring just got clocked. You know, if you ever watch boxing, they get hit. And, and for a moment, they're just kind of wobbling. You don't know if they're going down or, or they're going to get back up. And right there, their brains are not ready to throw the next punch. When we get hit hard, things happen inside of us. And it clouds our judgment. We get reactive. We have fight or flight. We have fear. We have revenge motives. We we have we have rebound motives, and 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 you want to fix it quick, and and you're not you're not ready to make a decision, yeah. and so that's when they take the boxer to the corner, and so the first thing you got to do on a big betrayal is not make a decision. You got to gather with the people that really help 
steady your head. And you gotta, you gotta talk the emotion out of it. And that's gonna take a minute. And you need to scream and rant and cry or whatever you gotta do, pace the floor back and forth. I can't believe it. You know, and I'm sat there. You gotta give that a minute. And sometimes that minute is, wow, this is why board of advisors or board of directors or your coaches or whoever it is are so important because, you know, everybody says it's lonely at the top. Well, that shouldn't be true. If if you're at the top, you might have to make some decisions where the buck stops here. That's the burden of leadership, but it should not be lonely. I mean, you should be surrounded No president goes to war without the Joint Chiefs, and they get in that room. So the first step is about you, Dave, and and you got to get ready. And once you get ready, then there's a path that really helps to follow before you jump back in. Yeah, and and there's the temptation to really rush past that step. I mean, I think our society sort of tells us, okay, we had this blow, move past it, buckle up. You know, we've all heard that, if not explicit advice. We've all gotten that push of like, all right, you need to kind of rebound from this and move on. And I'm curious, for the people that you see that, and I love that you mentioned, like the anger and all that, like we have to go through that. The people that you see who lead and are able to actually stop and first, like, just take a breath and express the anger that they need and to back off for a few minutes— what is it they do that helps them to do that better than those that just try to rush in? Well, it's a great question because, you know, hopefully it's not only what they do in that moment, it's what they've done in the last year before them because oh. they have been, all the research shows, the greatest leaders, you go to a C-suite, they all look the same. Same IQ, same educational background, same experience, same years in the industry. But what accounts for 90% of the difference in their performance is all that stuff we lump together and call EQ and all this other, these internal capacities this person has personally and interpersonally. And so what I would say before that moment, what they do is they have really spent time, you know, with a good coach or good mentors or whatever, and they know themselves. So when they're in that moment, Here's what I see. They are able to have the emotional regulation and the impulse control to hit pause. And Dave, I was so surprised over the years. I work with with CEOs from some of the biggest, biggest public companies all the way down to, to closely held family health firms. And I always kind of thought as a CEO coach and consultant, I'd, you know, in between say our quarterly times together or whatever the cadence is the high performers. Well, I'll never hear from them. I'm going to have plenty of time. And, and it was the people that were struggling. I'm going to get all the calls. Right. And it was exactly the opposite. It's the highest performers that I hear from the most. I, I had a situation just yesterday where a guy's, you know, kind of small, medium sized company is, Somebody's going to make a run at him who's a minority stockholder. And they got a lot of power in in California. And it's it could be a, a nightmare. And so he was going to send an email, you know, back with a response to a meeting. And what does he do? He calls me and said, hey, will you read this before I send it to him and the board? And I read it. And there were some things in there that were not 
that he had said that were not in his best interest, but they were coming from, he felt pushed in a corner and the way the meeting went and all that. And he also conceded some points in there that he shouldn't be conceding, but it was coming out of fear. Mm. So we talked through it. We recast the, the way it was. And that's what I see in that moment. They don't impulsively or what feels right or what would seem natural or intuitive to them at the moment. They don't, they don't pull the trigger right then. They stop. They hit pause. And they get people that they trust that know what they're doing and come around and help them in that moment. So that's the first step. You got to get your brain right. The invitation you make as you do that is to move beyond anger and turn toward forgiveness. And you say forgiveness is the way you free yourself from betrayal. The verdict is in. If you're going to be healthy, you have to forgive, period. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. We hate that, right? Oh, no, great. I'm in business. Now you took me to church. Well, actually, I'm taking you to science because in in the book, I talk about all of the aspects that having revenge motives and bitterness and all that, all the aspects. So just start with your health, your cardiovascular system, your immune system, your cholesterol levels, diabetes, all this stuff. You don't want that flowing through your veins, but it also goes to your brain. And it affects decision-making and judgment, mental health and anxiety and fear and all this stuff. So when we're talking about forgiveness, I'm not talking about trusting them. I'm not even talking about having a relationship with them. I'm talking about cleaning out your system where you don't need anything from them anymore. You don't need for yesterday to be different. Basically, forgiveness is we're hanging on to yesterday should have been different. You know, we still got all the rage and all that. You got to be clean. From yesterday, it only takes one person to say, look, they don't know me. All right. I'm just I'm just going to get this out of my system. Yesterday, yesterday, I forgive you. That's from the emotional sense. So we got to get back to a neutral place. This is before you've even talked to the person. And it only requires one to do this. You can do this on your own. Some people's lives are wrecked because they can't forgive their ex 20 years ago. That's why they can't have a good relationship now. They're still carrying it forward. So you got to clean that out, but that only takes you. Then the next step does take two people. If you're gonna, if you're gonna think about going forward, this person, you're not gonna fire them. You're gonna try to save it because this person is so. Gosh, it's gonna take a year to replace them. Do I give them another chance? How do you make that decision? Well, the next step is in the book. I call it. You got to ponder it. And here's what I want you to do. You're at a crossroads. Neither option is good. You're either going to not trust them and end the relationship. You're going to lose everything. It might be a family. It might be the team is going to break up. It might be whatever. That's not a great option, but it might be the right option. But the other option is equally bad. You're asking me to trust this person again when they just screwed me that bad. And and we don't feel good about that one. So you're in a dilemma. So that's where you got to really ponder. Is it worth it? to try to put this back together. Is there too much to lose that at least I want to try? Or there's no way I'm going for it. And, you know, a lot of times, for example, people have to, you got to move that person on. It might be personal relationship, might be business, but it's not the right option to go forward. But then on the other side, you might say, if there's any way to save this guy, we want to do it, or save this this relationship with this 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 company or whatever it is. So then if we decide, okay, 
we're going to explore going forward. Now, you, you see, I hadn't trusted yet, right? I've just made up my mind that I'm going to be open. Yeah. That's when, you know, we hadn't trusted yet. Look, forgiveness is about the past, but trust is about the future. Forgiveness is free. Trust is earned. So now we got to sit down. And we got to find out, is this a person that reconciliation is even possible? Because if you get with them and they aren't really owning it, if they're still excused, well, you know, I did it because you guys are, you know, what if they got all these extraneous reasons that's going to kind of excuse them, get them off the hook a little bit, eh, you're not ready. <laughs> we got to see somebody who is truly, truly owning and saying, look, I screwed up. I did this. Now you hear in the news, I take full responsibility. Well, that might be a sound bite. You got to feel it, that they really care about how they hurt you. And you're going to hear three things in a good, good owning it. You're going you're gonna to hear, hear the event. I actually did this, whatever. And they understand what they did. Number two, you're going to hear them expressing they get how that felt to you, how that demoralized the team, how that must have been devastating to you after you did all this for me and, and, and that they get the emotion of it. And then the third thing is you're going to hear them express the consequences. And I can see it set y'all back a year and I feel horrible about that. So when we really hear that, now again, it's not time to trust yet. Now they've become somebody that we're open to the possibility that they might become trustworthy. So this is why this isn't just, oh, I'm sorry, well, let's move on. Well, now we know we got somebody that's that's workable. And then you start back over with the five boxes we talked about earlier. You've got you to go gradually to, do they really understand what's needed that they didn't understand before? And are they really getting it? Is there motive now that they want me to win, that they want the team to win? And can we see that? You just go down the five. And then you don't, it's not a toggle switch. You don't, okay, put them back in and everything's great. No, you got to go step by step, a little bit by little bit. And sometimes, like I've seen this in big companies where people are restored, you know what, I'm not, I'm not going to let you sit in the chair that you were in previously. I'm going to pare back some of those responsibilities and some of the things you're doing and we'll put you over here and we're going to see how you do. So. We're asking a gradual track record to be built again. I've been noticing the word emotion has come up several times in our conversation already, and particularly the word anger, as shows up in the book too. And there's a really, I found a really useful distinction about anger, and especially thinking about forgiveness that you make, that there's a distinction between expressing anger in the work of reconciliation and expressing it with the intention to retaliate. Tell me about that distinction. You know, when if somebody's been betrayed, the betrayer's got to sit there, <laughs> this is hard work, and really hear it. And that person's going to start to express, this is how you hurt me. And that, and sometimes there's gonna, they're going to be mad and it's going to come at you. And you got to be able to absorb that. Because what they're doing is that's basically a grief process. They're grieving what they wish would have been. And if we can't become an agent and a partner in helping them work through that, not by trying to talk them out of it immediately, but by understanding it, neurologically, what calms anger down is one of two things. 
it's either empathy, when somebody feels heard, they start to calm down, their brain starts to work again, or if they're truly on a revenge motive, it's a limit. You know, that's when we say to somebody, sit down and be quiet. Because they're really not expressing the anger of hurt. They're expressing retaliation and all this kind of other stuff. So it's incumbent on the one who's done the failure to be open to really hearing. There's going to be some pain and anger that they got to express, and you got to, you got to absorb it. And that's how marriages and businesses, when somebody can listen to the other person express what this did to him and, you know, you know, and sit there and just nod. That's what great leaders do. And they're able to take it. They don't get defensive and they don't react and all of that. So it's a big deal. It's a big, big deal. When someone is handling a tough situation of betrayal and they say to you, I could never forgive this person for what they did. What do you invite them to do? Well, first of all, I would invite them to tell me why. And not why to talk them out of it, but why it feels that way to them. Because sometimes the inability to forgive underneath that is really an incapacity of they could never forgive them because they really maybe are so scared of getting hurt again that they got to hold on to it as a shield. So we don't know what's underneath that. There's a proverb that says a person's heart is deep in tensions and the wise person draws them out. I got to find out what that stance is about. Because it might have to do with factors that we don't even know about that come to play here. And so we got to understand it first. And a lot of times, even that step begins to kind of loosen the grip on their holding on to that. But at some point, they've got to understand, too, what holding on to it is going to do to them. You know, I mentioned in the book, I chronicled the research on unforgiveness and bitterness and how it affects future decisions how it affects your ability to take appropriate risk and not take appropriate risk, how it clouds your judgment on confirmation bias of seeing people, how it affects you physiologically. And I I got into this big body of research by this researcher who's a psychologist who chronicles all of the medical medical research on on not being able to let something go. And then I, I keep reading about this guy and I go find another set of articles he's done The guy that did all the research on forgiveness learned it. He's a he's a PhD. He learned it because he had to forgive the person who murdered his mother in front of him Mm. on a home invasion. Wow. And so everybody understands that feeling of I will never forgive. There's reasons we feel that way. It's kind of quote unforgivable. But if we can't rise above it, it's got us. And so at some point, it becomes a rational as well as an emotional decision. This is going to wreck my life. This tethers me to that person for the rest of their life if I'm, quote, holding on to it. And it affects everything I do going forward. I've been really intentional, I hope, in the title of this episode of the starting points for repairing trust. As we've talked about, Henry, there's there's so many different stages. It's messy. It is a process, yes, and also it's different in every situation. Thank you so much for illuminating some of the starting points for where to begin to think about this. And I'm, I'm conscious also of the point you made and in the book 
forgiving someone doesn't mean you trust them. There's a whole there's a whole set of things beyond that too. So I hope folks will go into the book and uh, especially if you are handling this right now, where maybe there has been a betrayal, maybe there has been a loss of trust in your team or your organization. What a wonderful starting point. Yeah. Or if you find yourself in that in that chair where do I hire this person? Yeah. You know, do I start yeah. the process of trust? Yeah. Indeed. How do I build trust on a team that's really not working together? The building it is so, so important. And having that hit green button <laughs> inside of us be based on some really sound factors as opposed to just my intuition, which can be wrong. Well, speaking of things being a process, we're always learning and growing. And one of the questions I often ask Henry of our guests is, what have you changed your mind on in the last few years? As you have written this new book and gotten into the research on trust and had so many of these conversations over the years with leaders and executives, as you reflect on the last year or two, what have you changed your mind on? You know, I... Hey, man, I'm a confused guy. <laughs> I've, I've changed my mind that I, I don't always totally trust my certainty as much as I used to because I'm, I'm learning that sometimes the people that I think are maybe extreme or crazy, that they're not totally crazy. There's, you, you learn to kind of understand that somebody's holding on to something for a reason. And that re- while their position might not be valid, the reason f- that they hold on to it's valid. And so I find that I've changed my mind a lot in my judgment or judging someone for why they believe a certain way or why they think a certain way. Because you, I've seen enough situations where I'm the facilitator of getting opposing sides together and seen so many times where they don't change their mind on their position, but they change their mind on their level of understanding why the other side feels the way they do. And that really helps. And I think that's been really important. Henry Cloud is the author of Trust, Knowing When to Give It, When to Withhold It, How to Earn It, and How to Fix It When It Gets Broken. Henry, thank you so much for your time and for your work. It's good to be here, Dave. Thank you. If this conversation was helpful to you, several related episodes I'd recommend. One of them is episode 535, The Art of Constructing Apologies. Sandra Sutcher was my guest on that episode. We talked about the science, the research, and of course, the art and the heart behind an appropriate and genuine apology. Of course, that is a huge element of trust in so many of our relationships. Episode 535 for those details. I'd also recommend episode 539, The Path Toward Trusting Relationships. Edgar Schein and Peter Schein were my guests on that episode. Edgar's work has been just tremendous over decades to so many of us. And you may have seen my mention in the recent past in one of the weekly leadership guides that sadly, Edgar passed away early this year. he's was doing work well into his 90s, had appeared here on the podcast a couple of times over the years. Uh, what a pleasure to be able to learn from him. His legacy will live on in so much of the work that all of us do in supporting culture, 
and trust and relationships and organization and curiosity. If you'd like just a hint of what his uh, his wisdom captured, episode 539 is such a wonderful starting point for that. And then finally, I'd recommend episode 621, How to Approach a Reorg. Claire Hughes-Johnson was my guest on that episode, uh, former COO of Stripe, the very popular payment processor that many organizations use to drive e-commerce on the internet. We talked in that conversation about her role as an executive in leading a very fast-growing organization successfully and the inevitability that we all have of having to handle reorgs that happen, even when success is happening. Reorg doesn't always a bad thing, as we talked about in that conversation, but it is always the thing that does rely and come back to trust in the how we do it. Episode 621 for her perspective on that. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. If you haven't already, I'm inviting you today to set up your free membership at coachingforleaders.com. Your free membership is going to give you access to so many of the benefits inside of the website in the free membership, all of the audio courses, tons of resources from me, the weekly leadership guides, and also more perspective on my interview notes. All of those are detailed inside of the free membership. They're just click on interview and book notes. I'm also sending out regular weekly guides uh, each week that highlight what we've talked about on each episode. Also, some of the wise words from past guests. So if that's helpful to you, I hope you'll go over and dig in on the free membership, coachingforleaders.com. And perhaps you've had your free membership for a bit and you're looking for more. One of the things I'm doing now is bringing together much of the wisdom and the expertise from so many of the different guests we've had on the show over the years and doing more writing, not writing a book, but I'm writing monthly articles, long form articles that answer a very specific question and integrate the wisdom and perspective from so many of the guest experts. If that's of interest to you to begin receiving those, you may want to find out more about Coaching for Leaders Plus. You can find out all the details of that just by going over to coachingforleaders.plus. That link will get you right there with details on that and much more of the benefits inside of Coaching for Leaders Plus. I'll be back with you this coming Monday for our next conversation. Have a great week and see you then.